We're in John chapter 1. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I took a semester class on John, and it took us most of the semester to get through chapter 1. Uh, that was fun. We're in 21. We're in 21. We're in John 21. Just after daybreak, verse 4. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach. But the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, have you no fish? You have no fish, have you? Hmm. Children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast, to the, cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it. Jesus is the fish finder. <laughs> he's a miracle caterer. He's, <laughs> he's a doctor, and he's a fish finder. Cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because the, there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes. This kind of sound, to us this sounds reversed, doesn't it? He put on some clothes. I, when I go fishing, I wear clothing. But apparently they didn't. That was the first nudist colony, so. Well, look, work, that work is hot and sweaty and icky, so I'm sure that was part of it. You're going to get wet no matter what, because, you, you know, it's just the way it is. Well, except that it was, like, just after daybreak. Yeah. yeah. Uh, They've so been fishing all night long. Fishing all night long. And but if it's summer, it's hot. Well, it's, uh, yeah, well, it's our April. Because uh, this oh, is right after Easter. <laughs> well, they didn't have as many changes of clothes as, as we did. That's true. And That's true. They just didn't have any it's a, and they weren't fishing with hooks. Right. Yep. You have to be, you know, when you're fishing with hooks, you got to worry about where that hook gets oh, caught. <laughs> All the more reason to wear clothes. Exactly, <laughs> when you're fishing with hooks. Yep. But they're fishing with nets, so it's a little less, nece little less necessary. It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes. They never depicted that way in movies, by the way. They put on some clothes, for he was naked and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. That's about 200 cubits. Then they, when they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it. There, 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 there was already fish on it. Right. Well, that's why he knew where to tell them to fish. <laughs> this week, you know, you, I see your fish. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Got them right there. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus said to them, bring, it had bread on it, by the way. Well, we know Jesus, you know, Jesus and bread, they kind of go together. Yeah. Um, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. There you go, that's justification for having fish and hush puppies <laughs> on the fire being fried. Uh, so Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. 
And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Now, that's where we stopped last time. Mm -hmm. Because that is just an absolutely fascinating thing. This detail, 153, and it's not just 153 fish, 153 large fish, and even though there were so many, the, the net was not torn. 153, my mental image is one, two, <laughs> three, you missed one, oh, four, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm serious. That precise number has fascinated church scholars, church fathers, from the very earliest days, some of the earliest sermons and speculations about, about John's gospel, when they get down to this point, they ask the question, why the specificity about 153 fish? And your homework last time, which I know Bill is just chomping at the bit. No, really. <laughs> I got tired of looking at it. There was a I, lot of it in there. Right this week, I finally came up with it with all the ads on TV. Mm -hmm. no, you are going to get up tomorrow morning at 3 and watch the wedding, right? No. no. You're not, not going to watch it live? You know Mary Wilson will be. I'm going to watch it with her. On, so. Anyway, well, I got digging into it. And that's where the 153 come in. With Prince Charles, there's 152 generations before Prince Charles sits Adam and Eve. He makes the 153. So Jesus is a gal catching 153. <laughs> That means that Prince William will be the Antichrist. Keep going. I gotta breathe. Let me breathe. There's probably more than 153 answers to it. It's, you know, I cut it off after. Yes! More than 153 answers to it. But anyway. You know, it comes up once, says it was uh, possibly in a number of nations during the times, you know, or of a number of different types of people that Christ gathers together into the kingdom of God, possibly. Yeah, that's uh, one, that is one of the Also, 153 individuals were specifically blessed by Jesus Christ. When you add them up in the four Gospels, 153, 153 received a direct blessing from Jesus Christ including the 70 disciples, 11 apostles, 10 lepers, four brethren of the Lord, the praised men and bearers, praised man and bearers, the centurion, Lazarus, Mary, Martha, the blind man, the demon-possessed man, Nicodemus, Peter's mother-in-law, etc. adds up to 153. Now, I assume so that's not counting be, the doubles. Right. Between, <laughs> okay. So basically, I think what they're saying is, you know, John, or Jesus made his disciples fisher of men. And if you add all these together up until the time of Jesus' death, supposedly there was 153 people directly blessed. And that's supposedly where the 153 comes out. In other words, they're out fishing for men. And we've caught 153 already to this point. 
possible. And it's interesting that, that that they would come up with that number if they went through yeah. and counted them. And others, you know, I, like I say, I've looked at a hundred different ones. Other ones, of course, you mathematicians, you know, you know, you got to figure out the here. numbers of threes. You know, threes always got to come in there because three, you know, no matter what number you got, it's always the third number, so on and so forth. And it makes a triangle. Then you have the trinity, you know, and it's so it's everybody's opinion. And of course, when you get on threes, then you say, well, wait a minute, 14 goes in there, and then 17, and they keep coming up with numbers. And uh, three or three sets of three. Or if you take 153, you add 1 plus 5 plus 3 equals 9, which is three threes. Yes, that's right. <laughs> you know, three sets of threes. And you can go on and on and on on this. So. And, and they do go on and on and yeah, on. Yeah, I would tend to believe that it probably has to do something back with the phrase of the, the he's going to make them fishers of men. To this point, he, somehow he's blessed the 153. I would kind of go with that one. Okay. <laughs> Uh-huh. Possibly. Other theories? <laughs> yes? If you take uh, all the numbers 1 through 17 and add them all up, you get 153. Mm -hmm. You get 153. That's one of the very classic answers. Yep. Absolutely. 1 and then 1, 2, and 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 3. If you add them all up. All, all the numbers, 1 to 17, and add them all up in a row, and add them all together, all those numbers together, you get 153. Yeah, but why 17? Because that's how far you have to go to get to it. <laughs> and I mean. 17 is the addition that's, that's of I mean. 7, the number of divine perfection, and 10, the number of human completion. Say <laughs> well, those two again. 7, the number of divine perfection, and 10, the number of completion. A point. Completion, period. Human, everything. And those two numbers added together make 17. Uh, you can, see, it, numerology can prove anything with this. Oh, yeah, that's why I say mathematicians can. Here's another one. 153 different answers, real easy. Here's another one. In the period of time where Jesus lived, and therefore when John was written, the Torah lectionary was divided into 153 parts. Yep. Divided over three years with 51 parts a year. Relatively equivalent to how many weeks you have in a year minus Passover, which had a special set of readings separate from the lectionary. So the Jewish lectionary at the time that John lived, the time of Jesus lived, and for centuries leading up to that time, and for centuries following in that time, and all the way up to today, the Torah lectionary, the lectionary of the Torah, has 153 parts. And those 153 parts are divided into three years, just like our lectionary is. And it comes out to 51 parts a year. And if you read over a three-year period of time, according to the Torah lectionary, you'll have read the entire Torah. And it's not just the Torah. It's the Torah and the writings and the prophets. And you'll have read the whole thing in three years. In 51 parts a year. Including... It's the Torah, the Nevaim, and the Ketuvim. The Torah, the, 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 the Pentateuch, mm -hmm. and then the prophets, major and minor, and the writings. First, second, Kings, first, second, 
Chronicles, all that stuff. The Psalms, the Proverbs, that stuff. All right? That's interesting that it's 153. 153 parts. That's strange. Why would they choose that specific number? Some people have connected this with that. Each fish represents a part. Therefore, we're called to gather in the totality of the word of God. <laughs> and not a bit is lost. You know, that's one theory. That's one interpretation. Yes? Again, numbers, numbers. Why, why 40s? Uh, well, I'll, I'll, we'll come to that in just a moment. Another. Um, long ago, Augustine of Hippo, he was the bishop of Hippo, not of a hippo, just a hippo. That was a city in northern Africa. Pointed out that 153 is the triangular of 17. That means that if we add 17 plus 16 plus 15 plus 14 plus 13 plus 12, that was, we already talked about that. That comes from Augustine, fourth century. In Matthew 18, 22, Jesus tells the Peter to forgive someone 70 times seven. We know this does not mean that we are to keep count and quit forgiving at 490 times. <laughs> I know some people who've made that claim. It means that we're always supposed to be forgiving. Numbers have meanings, therefore. They have, have, they have philosophical and theological meanings. And, and, and as much as we want to say the numbers are random, they're not. In, in Jewish thought, numbers had specific meaning. For instance, seven is symbolically represented the divine or spiritual completeness. Ten represented human, earthly, or totality of completeness. Uh, and you know that, uh, that's true not just in Jewish thought, but I mean, well, um, how, many, how many fingers do I have? Ten. Ten. How many toes do I have? Ten. I don't have ten eyes, but. Oh, I got all ten. Uh-huh. As far as we know, you have ten. Yeah, I have ten toes. Yeah. The other things have ten times. We won't talk about that right now. With regards to all of the threes, Trinity, Trinity is composed of three persons. Jesus rose from the grave on the third day. Jesus prayed three times in the garden. He was crucified on the third hour of the day. There were three hours of darkness from the sixth hour of the day to the ninth hour of the day. He was on the cross for six hours. That's two times three. And six is also an evil number, by the way. Uh, died about the ninth hour of the day, three times three. Three were crucified, Jesus and two thieves. <laughs> Jesus' life, Jesus lived 33 years, or some say 33 and a third years. Um, his ministry was approximately three years in length, etc., 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 etc. It's already been done. 153 is 1 plus 5 plus 3, which is 9, which is 3 times 3, or 3 sets of 3. If you, if you sum the cube of the digits 1, 5, and 3, you always get 153. That's 1 to the third power is what? One. Five to the third power is 125. Three to the third power is 27. Add 27, 125, and one, 153. Of the four numbers for which this is true, 153 is the only one that is divisible by three. The number 153 can be found in any third number in the entire numbering system. Right. Take any third number, three, six, nine, 12, 15, 18, etc. Or any number divisible by 3, which is what we're talking about. And do the same thing that we did above, I mean, when we just did it a minute ago. 
you find the sum of the cube of the digits. For instance, 27. I ran this one. That's 2 times 2 times 2, or 2 to the third power, and 7 to the third power. That's equal to 8. <clears throat> Plus 343 equals 351. Now I take the answer, 351, and run it again. 3, plus, uh, three 5, and 1. 3 to the third, 5 to the third, and 1 to the third. 27, 125, and 1, it's 153. No matter how you run the numbers, when you cube them and then you cube them, they always come out 153. It is utterly weird, almost frightening. It's a very important number, numerologically speaking, and it is a very important number in all forms of biblical Kabbalah. Kabbalah is one of the ways in which you read the Old Testament in Hebrew, and you assign every single letter a number value. And every single word has a numerical value by adding up those numbers. And therefore, you can make interpretations of passages of Scripture based on their numerical value. They also used Kabbalah to proofread each page of text. Once the copyist was finished, they would add up the value of the page and compare it to the value of the page they just copied. And if the value of the page they just copied equals the value of the page they, that, they, that they wrote down copying it, they know they got it right. Because there's no way, if they missed a single letter, it would come out wrong, wouldn't it? They could the wrong letter. If they added up all of the, if you were to go through and assign a number to A as one, and a number to F, a number to T, a number to E, a number to R, and you would add up every single numerical value for this page. And then you were to sit down and copy that page. And then you were to add up all of the numerical values of the page that you had just written down, copying this one. And it came out to be identical. Then the chances that you copied it exactly the same are very high. Whereas the chances that you made a mistake, if you, if you get a different number, and you double check it and it's not an arithmetic error on your part, it's an actual numerical difference between the original and the one that you copied. You know the one you copied has an error in it somewhere. You doubled a letter, you left a word out, something like that. And the kind of error, or the size of the error, will be determined based upon the, the, the actual numerical difference between the one that you copied and the original. So it became a proofreading method for the copyists of the Torah to test their copies to make sure that they were had fidelity to the originals, they would count up the value of every Hebrew letter, add them all together, and that numerical value would be how they would check it. We got copies of the Bible that have those numerical values at the bottom of every page because they went through that process. Isn't that interesting? So that, that method of Kabbalah and interpretation and proof texting, numbers are very, very important in the Hebrew way of thought. It is for us today. We're fascinated with it. People who are mathematicians are just fascinated with this stuff. I'm fascinated with this stuff, and I'm not a mathematician. I think it's just absolutely fabulous, 153 generations from Adam. <laughs> that, that, that sounds like what somebody would come up with. I mean, you can use the number to do anything you want with. You know, like you've got over the internet before, they tell you to put your age down and you subtract the month and you add this and that, and it always comes out to that same number. Yep, there are mathematical like say, tricks. You can, you can finagle the numbers any way you want to come out with a number. 
my belief is that they have left something out here. Possibly. When he when he wrote it, whoever wrote John, somewhere's you know they thought, wow, that's not important. They left one little sentence out of there to come up with the 153 to explain it. Uh huh. And I, I really think so. I think it's just missing that. That's possible. That in other words, they for some reason they they said, oh man, we got a bunch of fish. I bet we got 200. The other disciples said, no, there's only about 125. Well, let's count them. And they counted 153. I mean, that's making it simple. But <laughs> 160 <laughs> minus the four, the eight. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, no, John Peter Benson said, no, I bet there's more than 150. One said, no, there's not, so let's count them. And they counted them. Well, there was, there's 153 of them. So, but no, I, I think really that whoever, you know, the writers are, they, they've left something out they didn't think was important. The general, is there an answer to the question? No. Mm -hmm. Thank you. In the end, it's actually fairly unimportant so long as you understand the following. There was a reason for 153 being written in. Maybe it was as literal as you suggest. They actually counted the fish and that's what it was. If that's the case, then it is amazing that that happens to be that specific number. Because your curiosity would get you even today mm -hmm. if you got a monster of, geez, I wonder. Well, 153 is a very powerful number. Yeah. That Numerically speaking, there it's not like, you know, 64. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a very powerful, powerful number, 153. And it's interesting that that was chosen. Now, I think that there may be something to the theory that 153 is symbolic of the totality of the human race. And there are ways to make that argument. 153 nations in the known world at the time, or 70 nations in the known world at the time being another more likely figure, and that being a factor involved in 153 with 17. Uh, there are lots of different ways to come up with those, uh, that understanding. And none of these ideas would be necessarily foreign, and this is my point, foreign to people like John or the people in John's community. Mm -hmm. Remember, the beloved disciple, whoever he was, did not write this. Chapter 21 is added a little later by someone in the community. That, that much is very clear. And, is, and, and you'll, you'll see in a minute that argument. Um, and therefore, it's someone in the community, and that number would not be foreign to them. And the idea of that number having a meaning wouldn't be foreign to them. And the idea that, oh, that number has some concept or some meaning to it is important. Well, look at the rest of the text around it. What are they doing? They're fishing. The argument that they, oh, he told them to become fishers of people. Now, there's a problem with that one. What gospel was that in? Mark. It wasn't in John. Follow me and I will make you fishers of people. Well, we haven't Somebody find it. Yeah. Somebody find it. I want to say Luke, but I don't. It's Matthew. I think it's in both. Follow me. It's the calling of the disciples. It's at the very beginning. You look at Mark, I'll look at Matthew. Matthew and Mark didn't mention 153 fish. Nope. That is unique. Mark, Mark 1. Mark 1. Mark 17. Mark 1, 17. Read it. And Jesus said to them, Follow me and I will make you fish for people. Uh huh. Okay, here it is. Matthew 
4, verse 19. Follow me and I will make you fish for people. So it's found in Matthew 4, 19 and Mark 1, 17. Pretty important proclamation, but it's not found in John. So that's a little bit, that argument kind of stumbles a little there. But I don't think that that affirmation, that proclamation, would have necessarily been foreign even to the people in the Jehanan community. I mean, they're aware of Luke to begin with. And I don't think that that saying of Jesus or that calling of Jesus would necessarily be foreign to uh, the people in that community. So you could make the argument that it, it's problematic, but I still think that it holds some water. It, it could have been part of oral tradition. It could have been a part of an oral tradition that simply was not included in John for the reason that we see up here at the end of chapter 20. Uh, but these, uh, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. See, it's a, you know, even the author here says there's plenty of other things that they're aware of that took place, that he taught, that he said, that they didn't include. Good. No problem there. All right, let's take a look at what else is said in this passage. Uh, so Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish. You know, they're prominent. They're important. They're, they're, they're tasty. <laughs> They've got a lot of meat on them. They're going to be good. They're going to be good to feed. And there were so many, the net was not torn. The net was not torn. <coughs> Now that right there speaks about how it, usually in imagery the church is seen as a net and in, or a boat, one or the other, sometimes both. And the net draws in the nations of the world and not a one is lost, i.e. from the nations of the world. Now not all the fish in the Sea of Galilee were caught, but from the nations of the world, i.e. symbolic 153, will be gathered in people and not a single one will be lost. Is the, one of the ideas that I think is the strongest. And it takes the least amount of mathematical finagling to get there, by the way. To simply say that from the totality of the nations of the world, symbolized by 153, are gathered in the catch. The, the, that those whom the disciples are called to go out and catch make the fishers of people and not a single one is lost. I think that idea has some merit. But apart from that, I think that we can go down so many different rabbit trails, we'll get lost many times. 153 generations from Adam to Prince Charles. <laughs> That's, that is fabulous. And that was a new one. I hadn't heard that one. I thought I'd heard them all. It was the same as 40s, right? Why, why was 40 so popular? You know, 40 days and 40 nights and 40 years in the desert and all 40s, you know. Well, 10 is the number of completion. What 10 is number 40. What is number 4? What does number four mean? The number of the whole world. The number of the totality of the whole world. The four corners of the world. There are four gospels. I mean, there are lots of arguments that can How be. How many continents are there? 
Seven seas. But the four corners of the world is yeah, one of the old I arguments. Know. But what I'm saying, you can make an argument any way sure. you want a number. But then four times ten yeah. is forty. And, and that's, that's why I say there, there's something missing here that should have been in here. I feel anyway, and it didn't. I think in. it was just simply understood that, and it may have been understood in the oral tradition, and therefore important right now, that. This number is a symbolic number indicating part of what they're supposed to be doing. This fishing is symbolic for, you know, if it, let's take it even back a little further. They've been out fishing all day long and they haven't caught, all night long and they haven't caught a single thing. Jesus comes into the equation, tells them where to fish, and they pull in 153 fish with one net. Well, that, you know, we can go fishing all night long, all day long, all life long without Jesus, and we're not going to catch a single thing. But we included Jesus in, this works even better, we include <laughs> Jesus into the equation, and bango, the harvest is sure. plentiful. There you go. That's that, 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 that preaches. That, that's why I like the 153 that were blessed by Jesus or touched. You know? See, that's an interesting one, too. My argument, my He's question already was. Dead. He's not yeah. back anymore. I got 153 of you. Bring them in. Uh -huh. My question was always, was that inclusive of duplicates between the four Gospels? Or did someone go through and factor out the duplications? The way you described it, it sounds like someone went through and factored out the duplications. Yeah. But then, of course, you have the question. When Jesus is hanging on the cross there and dying, and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Isn't that a blessing? And isn't that them, rather, an indistinct number? <laughs> for the whole universe? Sure. And that's 153? I mean, you, you could keep going and keep going. and keep, That's a fabulous, by the way, the number of, the people, the, of people that Jesus blessed, representing his entire ministry, and that he's going to be blessing the whole world, even those who will never come to him, are blessed by him. Believe it or not, yeah, that's true. Even those who will never come to Christ for whatever reason are nevertheless blessed by him. Absolutely. Blessed by his death, blessed by his presence, blessed by a call that they may not hear or respond to because of where they are in their life. Blessed, even though they will never, ever, ever exercise faith in Jesus, nevertheless, they are blessed, at least in this life. And I, wow. So, I mean, you could, you could take this lots of different ways. The way I prefer to take it is, the, is within the context of the passage, in the context of the fishing, in the context of Jesus being in the midst, I mean, I almost—I mean, that one to me, I want to preach a sermon on that one. But Jesus being in the midst of what we're doing, if Jesus isn't in the midst of it, if Jesus isn't directing us, we ain't going to catch a thing, friends. But with Jesus in the midst of what we're doing, we will. You know, I'm going to write that one down. <laughs> you know what? Y'all, you, you in the context of this study have helped me with my first sermon at Northgate. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and you can listen to it on the internet. Uh, yeah, I'm, really? I think I'm going to do that. I think I'm going to do that. Well, that'll get them thinking. Yeah. Well, yeah, you can, you can watch me on the internet the next week. Uh, I'm not quitting that. I was doing that before I came here. I'll keep doing it for years. But um, no, you just did it. You just gave me my first. I mean, that's always one of the hardest sermons to preach, by the way, is a first sermon. Really? And I won't mess around with the 153 more than just a few minutes. That's a good one. But no, the context the is good. Yeah, the, the context out. is the point. And I think that's the point here. The context is the point. Mm -hmm. Jesus directs them. They obeyed. 
the harvest was plentiful. Mm -hmm. That 153 has a symbolic meaning. We may not be able to completely divine what that meaning is, but I think it does represent the totality of the harvest that Christ has for us. And that's a symbol. Well, evidently, you know, whoever wrote this, if it wasn't John, mm -hmm. that number meant something like you said back then. Maybe it was further proof that Jesus was the Son of God. I think everything... That this number entered I think it. I think that's a factor, too. That is a very powerful number. It was a powerful number in Hebrew Kabbalah as well. That number was very important. It was one of the reasons why 153 units were chosen and a three-year lectionary instead of a four-year lectionary or a five-year lectionary or a seven-year lectionary. I mean, you know, heck, it makes sense to divide it up into greater units like that. But no, that three-year lectionary, which has meaning by itself, <laughs> that, would, that would make sense too if they divided up in those to like a six-year lectionary to correspond with their sign before the Sabbath year. They yeah, have six years. And a week seven. of years. A week of years with one year off, and you do something different there yeah. that year. Heck yes, that makes sense. But you can do that with three in groups. And Two, yeah. three and three. three. <laughs> All right, let's keep going. Jesus said to them, "Come and have breakfast." Oh, goody. Sausage biscuit with egg, please. No. <laughs> Fish biscuit with egg. <laughs> Sausage. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time <laughs> this was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Well, in John's Gospel. <laughs> when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. I want to finish the passage, then we're going to go back and look at it in detail. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Well, we just called 153 fish. We shouldn't have trouble feeding the lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, most English translations just render that nice and straightforward. Fortunately, the Greek is not quite so nice and straightforward. In John chapter 21, verse 15, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon, Ionu, agapas me? Do you love me? The Greek word is agape. 
the high, ultimate, divine, eternal form of love, the kind of love that God has for us, that parents have for children, the, the kind of love that can be defined as considering the needs of the other as being essential to or more important than your own needs. Selfless love. Right, exactly. The true form of love. Not love that gets something in return. Not love that is given to receive something. It is simply love for love's sake because it is the nature of the lover to love. Not the target. Not, not something in the target, intrinsic to the target of the love, but just because of the nature of the lover to love. It's divine love. That's the word that Jesus is asking of Peter. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Looking at the rest of the disciples. Wow. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Nai kurie, su odias hate phileose. Uh-oh. I didn't hear agape in there, did you? No. I didn't hear agape in there. Let me read it again. Nu kurie, yes, Lord. Su odias hate phileose. Phileo. The name of the city, Philadelphia, comes from the words phileos and adelphos, brotherly love. Phileo, phileos means the love that you have for a friend. More intrinsically, the love that is given and returned, and given because it will be returned. Illustrated this way, turn your back. Now, do me. See? All right? I scratch your back, you scratch mine. That's illustrative of the idea. Phileos, or phileia, love, is a lesser level of love. It's still good. It's still important. There's nothing wrong with it. But it's not agape. It's not the highest form of love. In the Greek structure, there are three kinds of love. Agape, phileia, eros. Now we know what eros is. Sexual love. Erotic love. It's the physical, bodily love. Nothing wrong with that in the proper context. It has its place. It's, 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 inten it's attention. And when they work all three in concert, it's the best. They should all work in th all three in concert. A husband and a wife should love each other divinely, love each other with the mutual responsive love, and also have the sexual love for each other. They should all three be in concert operation. But you can talk about them separately. Why would Peter's response be, Jesus, do you agape me? Do you love me? And Peter's response was, you know that I phileo you. I, now this, this weakens it beyond the reality, but it gets the idea across. You know that I like you. Do you love me? You know I like you. Gets the idea. That's how it hits in Greek. In English, we have trouble with it. In Greek, it's very specific. Do you love me? 
You know I like you. It, 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 it's not the same kind of response. Had he said, you know I love you with agape, and he said, Peter, do you, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? And he says, Lord, you know I agape you. Okay. That's how it sounds in the English. But that's not what it was in the Greek. He used, there's two different words in use here. Jesus saying, do you love me with this divine love? And the response is, you know that I love you with phileo love. Brotherly love, yes. Jesus asking, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Mm -hmm. And he's referring to the other disciples? Is that what he's referring to? Look at the context. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? What are the these? Yeah, what are the these? The other disciples? It's usually illustrated or usually interpreted as those who are gathered around. Is Peter trying to answer him back in context with these other, uh -huh. with his brothers? Possibly. That could be. That's certainly one major interpretive stroke. And I, what I prefer is, do you love me more than these, is the people who are gathered there. The other alternative interpretation would be these, the fish, the boat, the lake, the regular additives and functions of life. These things. These things. But the Greek doesn't help there. It doesn't tell us what the these are. Oh, it doesn't no. interpret. No, it could be question. either. It could be both. Do you love me more than these things? All these other things. Do you love me more than these guys sitting here? It could be both. In fact, it probably is. Because it's indeterminate. He probably would have said, do you love me more than these things that you were just doing? <laughs> do you love me more than fishing? That would be a problem for some people. <laughs> okay, well, let's take a look at this. He keeps going. It's not, we're not done. He keeps going. Yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. See, he, he repeats it. He says it exactly the same way. Nai kurie su orias hate phileo se. You know that I like you. So the second time, Jesus gives him another opportunity. And he fumbles it again. You know that I like you. Bueller. <laughs> McFly. Hello, McFly. Dum Dum. He's been up all night. Let's give him, let's cut him some slack here. He's been up all night. There was no coffee present. Come on. Let's just cut him some slack, okay? He hasn't had his job. He hasn't had his job. Now, first, his response was, Yes, Lord, you know that I like you. And he says to him, feed my lambs. Second time, it's tend my sheep. Hmm. Verse 17. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John. Let me read it to you in the Greek. Simon, Ioano, Phileas, man. Did you hear it? 
That's the third time. This is the he third time Jesus Jesus asking Peter, Simon, Uyana, Phileas, me. Not a copy. Not a copy. <coughs> he say he has changed. Jesus has twice tried agape, and Peter's response has been phileo. So now Jesus says, well, if he can't rise up to me, I'll step down to where he is. And instead of saying a third time, agape me, he says, phileos me. Now, what would have been perfect is if Peter had gotten a brain and had responded with agape. He doesn't, unfortunately, not here. But let's see what his response is. Peter felt hurt because he had said to him the third time. That's kind of interesting. Do you love me? Now, what does it say there? We're still in verse... Uh, we're now in... Yeah, we're still in verse 17, aren't we? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> said to him a third time. <laughs> um, yeah, the third time it, he's, it, when it says, Do you love me? it uses phileo. <laughs> That's weird. And then Jesus' response is, uh, you know, Peter's response is, You know that I phileo you. So, agape response phileo. Agape response phileo. Phileo. Respond, shock and hurt that he's been asked to phileo him three times. And his response is phileo. Jesus has decided, okay, I can't get Peter to respond with agape. I'm going to step to where he is and ask him the third time with phileo love, not agape love. So this is to confirm Peter's love for him after denying him three times. Maybe. In a sense, yes it is. Unfortunately, Peter was not able to rise up to that kind of love that Jesus had for him. Agape. So Jesus was willing to, to come to where Peter was at that moment. And at that moment, Peter was willing to affirm phileo love, not agape love. And so Jesus said, okay, that's where we'll start. If I can't get you and at the beginning here to come up to agape love, then we'll start with phileo love and go from there. And I'll get you to agape love. <laughs> and he does later on. In the Petrine letters, Peter makes reference to this and says that he, uh, he loves the Lord. And it's agape, the word he uses is agape there. It's a very powerful sequence. Mm -hmm. And it tells us that Jesus comes to where we are <clears throat> in our condition, at our moment, wherever we may be, and is willing to step to where we are and take us where we are. Won't leave us there, but he starts with us where we are. You're going to have a marvelous sermon. I've preached first, it before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've preached wow. this a couple of times here. Um, it's, a, it's a very powerful reading, this idea that, that Jesus begins with agape and Peter's response is simple phileo reflects partially probably his internal guilt. I'm not worthy to have agape love for you. I think that's probably yeah, what's going on here. Maybe. I'm not worthy to have agape love for you. Okay? Let's try it again. Agape me? 
uh, I can only phileo you. I'm too dirty and worthless to have agape love for you. Yeah. Okay, then let's start with the phileo love and we'll move from there. And eventually you'll be able to feel as though you can agape love me. We'll work on that. Yeah, we'll work on that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's a growth zone here. And that's true for all of us. Yeah. What is it? Maybe the, uh, the opera, what, Romeo and Juliet or whatever? How do I, how do I, how how do I love you? Let me, let me, <laughs> let me count ways. <laughs> Every time I hear that, though, what gets in the way is not from Romeo and Juliet. No. It's the scene from 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 uh, Who Framed uh, Roger Rabbit, where he starts jumping up and down. One one thousand, two one thousand, three one thousand. Feed my sheep is his enjoyment. Then this third time. Lord, you know everything. You know that I phileo you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. See, you've learned two Greek words here. You've learned agape and you've learned phileo. And you understand their nuances and differences. Hmm. Why does he change from lambs to sheep? Yeah, feed my lambs, tend The first time he tells them to feed the lambs, the little ones. Now I would feed my sheep, the big ones. Well, earlier on, you know, that's all you've got is lambs, and then they grow up. <laughs> Let me see In other words, say nur more. nurture my lambs, probably, and then yeah. when they're, that's why you ask them again, when they're growing, continue to feed <laughs> yeah. them. Yeah. Um, yeah, it does go. It does go up. It changes the word. It's not just an English thing. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he, Peter, would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. So when you're young, you get to put a belt around yourself and go around about your own business. But when you get to be old, someone will tie you up and lead you to where you don't want to go. You're going to die. And after saying that, he says, follow me. <laughs> how did, how, what does tradition tell us about how Simon Peter met his death? Upside down. Upside down. How? He was crucified. Crucified, crucified upside, down. upside down. Tradition says that when they told him they were, he was in Rome, and they told him they were going to crucify him, and he said, I'm not... Uh, I'm, I'm going to be honored to be killed and crucified, die the way my Lord died. And the Roman guards <laughs> kind of laughed and said, no, fix that. And they turned him upside down, which of course meant he died more quickly, but in a heck of a lot more agony. Yeah. And under Nero, too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The fiddler. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, this aside here kind of indicates it probably wasn't John. Who wrote this because the whole chapter is probably not the same author as the rest of it. No, all of 21 was added later. 
Yeah. Um, remember, we noticed that at the end of 20, it kind of felt like the end of the gospel, and it really mm -hmm. what it was in some ways. And then you get this addendum on. If you look at the Greek grammar, especially the grammar, you'll notice that there's some differences. There's simil it's more similar to chapter 1 in some ways, and some of the editorial remarks throughout John's gospel kind of render the same way. But in 21, it's a high density of that grammar. It's a little different than the grammar found in the rest of John's gospel. That indicates that what we're dealing with here is probably the work of an editor. Someone who heard this story told by John later on and decided, you know what, let's add that after yeah, John's death, after when the was author's death. John written in 90? 90, 93, Okay, Peter would have been dead. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Peter died in the 60s. Mm -hmm. Peter died in the 60s. So, yeah, Peter's been dead a long time. Peter, look at 20. And this is Peter. This is, I'm going to tell you something. This is Peter. I mean, that's why you say this is probably written down having heard it from an eyewitness who was there. Because this equates with the Peter we know in the synoptics and the Peter we know from elsewhere in the gospel. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. He was the one who had reclined next to Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? <laughs> well, if I'm going to die, what about him? <laughs> and uh, when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? Jesus said to him, if it is my will, that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. So if he's gonna hang around until Jesus returns, it shouldn't be an issue to you, Peter. What about him? That's him, that's the disciple whom Jesus loved. That, that's, that's him. Don't worry about him. You follow me. That, that, that'll preach too. I mean, I could preach that one to myself and to all the fellow clergy I know who whine and complain about the kind of appointments they get as pastors of churches. If they go to First Dallas, what is that to you? Follow me. <laughs> if they get to be a bishop, what is that to you? Follow me. I mean, I'm not going to know about that one. <laughs> If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. Verse 23. So the rumor spread in the community that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. There will still be a hint here. He's dead. <laughs> but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is testifying to these things and has written them. And we know that his testimony is true. You see, the third person here is far more extensive than it was earlier on. And we know that his testimony is true. But there, is, there are also, and then we get the repeat of the ending of chapter 20. But there are also many other things that Jesus did. If every one of them were written down, I suppose, I, 
<laughs> I suppose that the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. Little did this author know that attempts had been made and they're still filling books that, uh, that tell the story. listening to a Bible study by Dr. Gregory Neal, Senior Pastor of St. Stephen United Methodist Church and Rector of Grace Incarnate Ministries. Copyright 2011 by Dr. Gregory S. Neal. All rights reserved. For more information or to listen to other seminars, Bible studies, or sermons by Dr. Gregory Neal, visit us on the web at www.revneal.org. That's www.revneal.org. You are also invited to visit us in person at St. Stephen United Methodist Church, 2520 Oates Drive, Mesquite, Texas, 75150. This program was produced by Dr. Greg Neal.